Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we are watching H.G. Wells's The War of the Worlds, the movie from 1953 because there are so many different films of War of the Worlds we have to we have to specify by year and even then sometimes further uh, but no this is the uh fair to say the the sort of classic 50s Hollywood adaptation the the numero uno from that period and uh, we're watching it because the film is turning 70 years old this month uh, joining me as always we have someone who has seen the film before and someone who has not our guest who has not seen the film it's dr ellen sears hi Stephen. how are you ellen i'm well thank you for asking wonderful um war of the worlds yeah um obviously it, it exists in many forms it, oh yeah it was a book uh it, was. It, it it is a concept album slash stage show yes uh an immersive theater experience yes. films television shows yes. video games yes all sorts of different things many um, things so so have you have you encountered War of the Worlds anywhere before? Ah, uh, yeah, a few times. Partially, that's your fault. Yes, yes, that is yes, yes. When you when you marry someone who does a PhD in science fiction, yes, that'll do that, it. That, that will do that'll it. That'll do it. Uh, um, but but, but it, the, I know that this film version you haven't seen. I have not seen this particular film version. No, I've seen the two thousand and five one with Tom Cruise. I think I saw that in cinemas hmm. from memory. Um, definitely. Did, well, does this bring back any memories? Because yeah. <laughs> if that sparks a memory, then you probably saw it in the cinema. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, yeah, I, th- I think I did see it in cinema. It was a long time ago. Um, I've seen it in cinemas. I haven't read the book. Um, I have seen a live adaptation of the uh, radio play, which you were in. Mm-hmm. I have seen, I, I'm familiar with the concept album. I remember listening to that in music in high school, I think. Um, or at least the opening track Mm. um i've seen the arena tour Mm. in england so i'm getting um, a a sense years ago you've seen a few versions versions, (laughs) and then uh, most i guess probably most recently the bbc tv adaptation that was Mm. set in like the early 1900s oh with uh rafe rafe spall yeah timothy spall's son yeah mr and mrs small you and i watched that together and we also went to the immersive theater experience which is based on the concept album which Mm. is in london Mm. and is running again now so a few things Mm. and yet half of which are your fault at least but and yet you have not seen the 1953 no, I film version. No, so, I haven't. I've never had occasion. So what what are you expecting from this specific adaptation? I've got no idea. I have no concept for it whatsoever, apart from obviously, like I'm, I'm presuming, like the basic story beats of the original story in some capacity. But I have no idea how they're going to be executed. So mm. yeah, mm. excellent. Well, joining <laughs> us is someone who has seen. The War of the Worlds, 1953. It is Robert Woods. Hello. How you doing, Robert? Oh, about a seven. Excellent. Um, Robert, uh, this version of War of the Worlds. Yes. Um, in a vague, non-spoilery sort of way, if that's possible with War of the Worlds. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's what, tricky. What, what is this film specifically about? Uh, it Well, it's about uh, Martian aliens mm-hmm. coming to take over Earth. From okay. humans, yeah, <laughs> and much the same as all of the other versions. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, it's just it's the uh, the fifties uh, expensive, showy a list Technicolor mm. version Ooh. of of the movie, mm. and it is the first screen adaptation. Mm. That's cool. Yeah, so um, it's fifty three. So this is. 
55 years i think after the novel was published um so it's Mm. you know we're we're further away from this now than that that film was from when the book was published um and robert when we said that we were looking at doing war of the worlds you you sort of immediately threw your hand up and was like oh me me, 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 me." um why is is, that made me (laughs) why how did this film make you because you're one of the most um cinephilic people i know you watch movies all the time you engage in things you've made your own uh, excellent sci-fi horror film with um, replica ten- tentacular aliens, much yeah. like War of the Worlds in some respects. Um, how? What was it about this specific adaptation that inspired you? And when uh, did you watch it for the first time? I watched this for the first time when I was five years old. Wow. Um, I, I saw it on a VHS mm. that mm. my mother rented, I think. Um, and... I, I, I couldn't sleep for about two weeks <laughs> after. Okay. Like mm. it, th- I, I cannot s- stress the level of trauma that, <laughs> that, that has stayed with me from this film. I have films um, like that. Jurassic Park's one yeah. of them for me. I watched that way too young. And Aliens, I watched that way too so, young. So <laughs> like, I think like the concept of extraterrestrial life yeah. had never occurred to five-year-old me. Oh no. So, um... So it was like an existential. It like, was. It was crisis. a total. It was a total just mind screw. <laughs> like, oh my just, god! Uh, like it shattered my my cheery existence, and then, but but it also made me obsessed with aliens, and then yeah. science fiction, mm. um, and and disaster, and um, mm. and also the filmmaking of like of like depicting disaster and mm. special effects mm. and all of that and it just it just pulled me into all of those things because mm. I had to understand this thing that traumatized me so yeah. in in order to like I, I guess as a coping mechanism or mm. what whatever it is but mm. it, it became such a fascination for me all through those formative early years and then mm. just became yeah tripod obsessed and war of the worlds obsessed and, yeah. and and have just seeked it out in any format it's available in mm-hmm. and we're watching a lovely uh blu-ray restoration yeah of this. That beautiful new uh three strip restoration that was done in 2020 mm. um and it looks gorgeous mm. i can't wait to show you guys excellent <laughs> like, i'm excited it, it, it's it's very different to watching it on v like I, I believe in this version you'll, you'll probably see strings mm. of things and like little like bits of miniatures and stuff that were not discernible in in the old vhs days yeah, or to, to, a, to a five-year-old me mm. um mm. but i guess that's part of the the charm of the film as well mm. So, mm. so, th- so this was your very first exposure to the War of the Worlds story. Yes. Um, wh- what was your very first exposure, Ellen? It was probably listening to the concept album. Yeah. In High School Music, I'm pretty sure, because that yeah. would have been mid 2000s. I know for me, um, and it, then it, the film was a couple of years after that. Yeah, I know for me it was the concept album, but I yeah. was 
of a similar age to Robert Woods when I first encountered it. I was probably about six or seven. Mm. Um, and my dad uh, had a massive vinyl collection. And like everyone with any sort of vinyl, he had the War of the Worlds. Um, <laughs> and I just remember him putting it on one day and just being really captivated by by that first song. You know, just the dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And then the great thing as well is the the artwork for that album mm, it's beautiful. i just remember flicking through it and seeing like the image specifically of the priest holding up the cross yeah. to the to the tripods and going like yeah. something's going on here that this child has never encountered before and mm, there's themes here i can't unpick mm. <laughs> and i loved it though I, i've and yeah war of the worlds has always been a, a, a one, one of my favorites as well so what was the what yeah. was the, what was the um documentary that we watched recently which was about it you and i were watching bits of it Oh, on YouTube, I think. Yes, oh, it's a YouTube, uh, like a music historian. He did a documentary yeah. about how the album was made, and he interviewed it's Jeff Wayne as part brilliant. of it. It's really I think I good might have actually seen that. Yeah, he's, it, it he's on YouTube. At, when, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's got kind of a rockabilly, black hair, yeah. dyed black hair guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really good. It was yeah. a really good documentary. Really yeah. good making of. And if we remember the name of it, we'll mention it later yeah, we'll on. We'll mention it later on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll put it in the comments. But um, I, I think we've spoken enough. Uh, shall we watch H.G. Wells' is The War of the Worlds from 1953? Yes. Let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. Okay, for those of you listening at home, pop on those DVDs, load up those streaming services, and prepare to not believe that in the last years of the 19th century, human affairs were being watched from the timeless worlds of space. No one could have dreamed that we were being scrutinized as someone with a microscope studies creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Few men even considered the possibility of life on other planets, and yet, across the gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to our own regarded this Earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely they drew their plans to watch the war of the worlds <laughs> Back everybody, we have just finished watching H.G. Wells's *The War of the Worlds* 1953, and I'm joined once again by my special guests Robert Woods Hello. and Dr. Ellen Sears. Hello, uh, Dr. Ellen. That was your first time watching 1953's *The War of the Worlds*. Yeah. What did you think? It's pretty impressive for a film from the 50s. Mm. Holy 53 crap! 53 is specifically yeah, like early, early 50s. Early 50s. Early yeah. 50s. Very impressive. Like, the, and obviously this is like a cleaned up version and. Mm and whatever else but like the use of color and like the way that, i mean some of the the editing's a little bit janky i think we were sort of saying some of the transitions are like great and some of them are like oh okay that's fine i guess <laughs> um but like overall really well shot mm. really well put together coloring amazing mm. pretty, pretty special impressive, effects are pretty, pretty impressive special effects for that yeah. time period it, it won, I believe it won the Academy Award for special effects. I'm not surprised. Unopposed mm. in its category. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I can't yeah. imagine there would have been much else. It, it, it's hard to think that it's 70 years old in a lot of respects. Yeah, like it, it, yeah. It, I mean, I know, as he said, this is a 4K restoration, so it is pretty, pretty schmick. But like the, the on-screen elements in terms of, also the in-camera elements, the elements that you can't fix in post, essentially, mm. the set yeah. design. Um, the costumes Set by Edith Head, like like everything just really stands out, and it it really Do you know what stands out. Mm? Those 
bright green socks. Yeah. Of that kid that I've never noticed before. Yeah. And only watching it now on the big screen here. You're like, wow, this, they're very like, bright. Whoa, what is that? Yeah, and there's a lot of costume choices like that, which yeah. which really stand out. It, it it did very much feel like they were like, okay, we are using Technicolor and we are using it as much as possible. We're gonna damn well use it. Yeah. Yeah. Even in like the specifically like the design of the ships, the mm. colours they are, and then yeah. the 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 eye. the eye and the yeah and the design of the alien like using color and mm. and lighting it with color as well they use a lot of colored yep. lights mm. um, throughout especially the the last half when there's just madness yeah. being bombarded everywhere and uh, the story is the same as basically every other story of war of the worlds um, strange meteors fall to earth and then it turns out they're not meteors they're ships and they open up and they start attacking the humans and going pew 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 and then the humans try and fight back and it doesn't go well and there's desperate survival and in the end germs germs save the day it's, it's yeah yeah it's it it's those basic story boots yeah it, it does that what i think is really fun about this adaptation is just how of its day it is yeah. in the best possible way We've we've done a couple of fifties um, sort of sci fi movies. We've done Forbidden Planet is the one that stands out, oh, which I is love Forbidden Planet. yeah. But, but Forbidden Planet is like a very different flavor almost. Where mm. it's almost like I think it's so interesting that sci fi got so big in mm. film in the fifties. Yeah, in that kind of like post World War Two, like going into that atomic kind of yeah, mm. atom punk and and what I really that. appreciate about this though, because this is obviously pre Forbidden Planet by a yeah. couple of years, yeah, is just how grounded the sort of situation is in terms of we're screwed we we are in so much trouble but how colorful yeah. and bright and exciting they make that yeah whereas forbidden planet almost does the opposite where it takes you to this fantastic locale and almost not that it's desaturated but almost tries to make it seem real whereas in this yeah. it makes something that is potentially a bit more real in terms of yeah. a foreign force invading yeah. and, and destroying the country but making it fantastical they they wanted to make something uh just having come out of world war 2 mm. they wanted to make something that felt as real as possible in terms of like the military a modern day stuff. reaction to yeah. an invading force mm. and and it was like from from the military, the government action mm. and what that would look like and how society would react to that. Because H.G. Uh, uh, Wells wrote the novel to be yeah. in the time that he was in. So, and, and Spielberg's one updates it to the 2000s. post 9-11. So this one yeah. is, is made to be in the time that it was made. Which mm. is post-world war Two, yeah. yeah and and so it's dealing with the technologies of that time and dealing with the issues of that time and the cold war threat of that time and that mm. paranoia um and just this fear of an invading force and and obviously updating it to have atomic bombs and mm. and that whole side of things and and still keeping the fact that all of this technological stuff even the atom bomb doesn't has no effect yes yeah which i think is which would, makes would have, it the yeah. the atom bomb being futile, mm. uh, kind of a statement of 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 the uh, the the folly of all of this arms race. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a pretty big statement. It, yes, the nineteen fifties America. Yeah, like mm. holy oh, crap. Yeah. yeah, and it is very fifties America. I, oh yeah, I love that. It's like the well, soda pop and yeah. the. 
it's country square dance yeah it's like we've yeah. got we've got nothing to do this evening it's square dance time yeah. and it's just really really lovely it's very on brand um but but in a way that I, I suppose it's interesting because it feels genuine because it's off the time and certainly yeah. i'm sure there were large parts of america that were like that but it, it's also acknowledging the fact that this is still a very stylized idea of what american life was like through the hollywood lens mm. oh, um, yeah, you know sure. the, the fact is is uh, i Sylvia Van Buren carried a lot of trays, served a lot of drinks and food in this <laughs> film that that um, we we didn't see Clayton Forrester or anyone else doing, and it was a bit like, okay, so there's still this this veneer. But here. she went to university, Stephen. Yeah, she had a master's. She had a master's degree. Mm. It's true. Yeah. I, I, and yeah. and and he asked her, how did how did that. And how did that go for you? He's like, well, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's, she's serving him drinks. I'm like, well, I, I got my degree. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. And I teach, I teach library, <laughs> library science. Library science. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. well, in fairness, library sciences were very important at that time. They were like, very important. There was no at that time. computer storage information retrieval system. So. Nope. Yeah, and a, a full understanding of how libraries work is actually a pretty important degree in in that time. Would have been um, nice to have seen her get to use that. Yeah. Or, or you but, know, just, you know, or just. Maybe not scream as much, you know. But it, it did. But feel... also, she's a woman in a 1950s science fiction film. Yeah, I mean they do like because the original story is about one man trying to get to his wife. Yeah, yeah. And in this one, they've added in a, a meet cute, and a, mm. they don't know each other, so it, it gets to be a romance that forms mm. from the beginning, uh, um, at, which does make it. Uh, a little bit more, mm. well, a lot more Hollywood and mm. a lot more like there's yeah. there's a there's a nice satisfying arc there. Yeah, um, mm. through a disaster movie of of like, and that's and then he gets such to a trope find now. Her. Yeah, like that is that is such a huge mm. trope oh, of disaster films now. Massive. Like, there's always going to be a romance. There's exactly. There's going to be a thing at the but, end where you get your little. What's really interesting is comparing this to the 2005 version yeah. where they've replaced that relationship with the relationship between the father and his children yeah. between Tom Cruise and, and the two kids and obviously the two kids are very different ages so you get very different relationships it's a generation yeah it's yeah. it and like the fact is he's they are still trying to get to his ex-wife but it's just so that the kids can be with safe. her and be safe and that's partially it, because the littlest one goes I want mom. I want mom. Yeah. I want mom. and so it, I think it's quite interesting how mom! From memory, yeah, but it's been a long time since I've watched that. That just came back to me in a rush. But, yeah. But yeah, it's but it, wow. but, but it's it, it's really interesting that 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 that's the perspective change for the 2005 version, and also, I mean, it's Spielberg, so he he does focus on uh, family fa- family unit yeah. being family more unit. Well, this separated. One, this one has the um yeah. the whole the scientist looking for the answer, looking for an answer that's that's going to help in where um military might will fail, and then. Uh, mm. Sylvia and her uncle Matthew, who is the priest, mm. and the whole religious side of it, mm. yeah, um, and which is this... part and parcel of the original text as well. Yes, but in in the original text, the mm. the religious, the, the the pastor in that one is well, the reverend in that one is uh, like he's written and viewed by the characters narrating as yep. a complete insane nut job. Because hmm. he's the one who's the prepper, right? He's yeah, not he's, always, yeah. Well, no, he's not. He's no, not no, that's he's the, not other the prepper. Guy. The prepper's that's the soldier. Yeah. That's the soldier. But he, but he still does what the, the Uncle Matthew does in this, which is confronting the tripod, holding up a cross, and yeah. and saying the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, yeah. but and in then, this one, it's viewed as like a, a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or like a 
as futile as it is, but but all the way through, there is a lot more talk of of religion. religious stuff. Which and, also, again, I think that makes sense, like post World War, yeah, two, and keeping in mind those kind of like fifties squeaky clean ideals, and which just, was not necessarily the reality, but it's what media was trying yeah, to especially push yeah, the that studio nuclear system. family. Yeah. And the, yeah, I mean, HG Wells was uh, an atheist and was, yeah. a, was a well-known atheist. Which is why I, I didn't think he would like this version very much. Yeah, yeah I can't imagine he would have because it was very, very God-y. It, yeah. it is very God-y. And, and he very specifically stated that he rejected any beliefs related to God as, um, as either as nature or as the creator. He was very open about that in his, in his writings and his talking for you hg wells yeah and so the the idea of that being turned into this which i think is still a worthwhile adaptation like because i do think that religion has a place in the story because he did write it in there yeah it's just that his viewpoint was this is really dumb watch this guy get turned into crispy bacon whereas in (laughs) this version it it is that noble sacrifice yeah gets his blood sucked down yeah Yeah. and then and then in and then faith saves us all because we go to the churches which is safe is important for large swathes of the population and would be what people do and what i think is so interesting and i think would still now yeah and what's so interesting is in the 2005 version the first tripod we see emerges from just beneath a church which gets kind of destroyed yeah. yeah, and like ripped apart and destroyed by it emerging, which I've I've always felt was a bit like Spielberg sort of saying, this is kind of a sequel to this version. Yeah, in a sense, it's like we're moving on from the idea of of faith as the well, driver. The, I feel like the Spielberg version uh, is the the most perfect amalgamation of the story and structure of the original novel. Yeah, with a lot of the sequences and imagery of this 53 one which he yeah. clearly grew up loving because which, yeah. you can see images in this mm. sprinkled throughout his, his filmography, his filmography. Yeah, yeah absolutely there was a bit of et close there encounters. was a bit of close encounters i mean the 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 mirror scene of the the protagonists in the house hiding in the basement from yeah the from physical the martians entering yeah that that yeah, yeah. And that's the kind thing of on made it's... up for the movie version yeah. like this there, one yeah there is the soldier that builds his own underground yeah uh, thing but it's it's not it's not really the same setup as as mm. what's in the George Powell fifty three version. Yeah, um, and the set they had in this when they were when they were stuck in the house was fantastic. And that's that's the, the scene when I was amazing. a kid that that absolutely terrified me. Socks off you, yeah. Like being trapped in a, in a house with aliens all around and this probe coming mm. in and an alien creature sneaking around the shadow on the wall. Mm. It was like, it was so I terrifying. I can see exactly yeah. why this would have frightened, frightened the socks and also, as a now, child, honestly. Yeah. yeah, and now that it's, you say it's that. It's terrifying. And yeah. also this, this whole film, just like uh, w- w- what I love about the story is just, it starts off, pretty much all versions of the story start off yep. with this like, this, eerie calm because you kind of know things are going to go bad yeah but there's this eerie calm and then it's even after the meteors come it's like oh what's going on here and then just the there's that waiting and the waiting the waiting waiting. and then once that heat ray comes then just the dread of everything yeah is uh is so heavy like i felt i felt it so much as a as a child watching this just the utter dread and also just the the stakes and the hopelessness yeah. of it of how futile everything was 
was they throw everything just, they've got at it and it just yeah, does nothing. Like right in the right in the first like nothing. The first yeah. twenty minutes and like yeah, the whole military just gets completely wiped out. It's like mm. oh, no, we're doomed. Yeah. yeah, and it's and, and like it, it it is a bit more doomy than I remember this one being. Yeah, like from memory because it's been a good decade or so and since just I last saw the design saw it. of the ships and the sounds they mm. make mm. are. Uh, I don't know, like, what exactly they are, but, like, those sounds ingrained themselves into my very being. So much so that twice in recent years, because those sound effects are used, uh, since they were made for that film, they have been used in, like, every single Paramount production (laughs) and TV shows and stuff ever since, and are still used to this day. Mm -hmm. Um but twice in cinemas, uh, once with Ready Player One, where they actually have an actual 1953 sp- uh, ship in yeah. inside the virtual universe. Yeah. Um, in that one. But more so uh, the recent Adam Driver film, 65, yeah. uh, where he like ends up on Earth where the dinosaurs existed 65 million years ago. And when, once his ship has crashed and there's an alert going off in the ship. Yeah. And it's the sound of... Uh, it's the sound of the, the like the cobra head yeah. searching the. Oh, okay. That I like both of those times. I genuinely had, uh, flight or, or fight <laughs> yep, or flight, fight or flight like responses. like response like mm. I, I immediately wanted to like hide bolt wow. out of the theater and run and hide because just that sound hearing that sound again just triggered mm. something primal in me that's amazing it was it was hard your lizard brain just went yeah. no yeah, like i just like i had a little mini freak out yeah well as you said the sound effects uh, of the martian war machines specifically their heat ray i can tell you that was created with um th- three electric guitars yeah. being played backwards so they played the, played the effect backwards. Carter style. Yeah. And the sound of the Martian screaming after Forrester hits it um, is a mixture of a microphone scraping along dry ice and a woman's scream being played backwards. Fun. Yeah. So a, cool. lot, a, a lot of backwards sound manipulation. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of cool. I mean, they did a lot of that for sci-fi stuff because that was what mm. they did for the TARDIS warp. warp. Yeah, that was a Close key well. being a key scraped beam. along a piano a piano wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the yeah. Star Wars um, Stormtrooper Pew Pew is... Uh, tense sort of coil. They use that in this one too for the green truck. lasers. Mm. Yeah. Like, yeah. So the, the the heat ray which Sound is the, the cool. orange sparky one mm. yeah. and then the, the green zappy I don't, zap. the green zappy zap ones are the the, the yeah. um, high tense wires yeah. being being plugged and that was used then I believe all throughout Star Trek and yeah, all oh, yes, the various things that followed. Yeah, yeah. So there, there was a note when I was looking at my trivia notes that that Star Trek basically went, "Oh, we're just going to take all of these sound effects yeah. and sort of rework them mm. for the original series." And it, like, yeah, you can see the impact that this film clearly had, though, mm. uh, on yeah. on so many things that came and afterwards. is still having. Yeah, it's, holy moly! It, it's I haven't seen a lot of the flying saucer movies from this period. We we did talk in in the. Um, in the intermission, Rob, uh, that apparently I have seen Invaders from Invaders Mars. From Mars. Invaders from Mars, which yeah. is another flying saucer film from this period, which I have a very strong memory of scenes from that film. Yeah. But it does feel as though War of the Worlds managed to just come along and be the preeminent flying saucer film without really having flying saucers as such in mm. it. Like certainly the, the, the typical design yeah. of flying I mean, yeah. There were some before and after this mm. Obviously, there was, and and most of, I think this one has the distinction of being quite 
uh, a big budgeted for the time. I think it was, it was certainly for Paramount. Uh, it was it was two million dollars, which is like massive budget yeah. for the time. Huge. So I think Forbidden Planet and and War of the Worlds are like the the A list. Mm. sci-fi where they were given a budget and shot in color and like mm. they were mm. big and it shows. spectacle and it pieces shows. it's mm. beautiful yeah um it was a two million dollar approximate budget uh 1.4 million dollars of which or 70 percent was spent solely on special effects yeah makes sense I can, and i can imagine that because yeah. like they're they're doing some pretty dang complicated stuff here mm. to film in Technicolor as well. Yeah, and I, I know you said that we might spot some wires throughout this film. No wires. Um, I I Maybe. can't say I really noticed them that I, much. That much, yeah. Yeah, like like there you were one or two where I was like, oh yeah, but I was actually quite engrossed with what was happening where I kept forgetting to look for them. Yeah, and it was only the occasional one where I'd just clock it and go, oh yeah, there's the wire. Like it's even in this this yeah really clear crisp 4K version. It, it just looks great. Mm. It's so fun. Mm. Um, yeah, those miniatures yeah. are just works of art. They're beautiful. I love yeah. Them. And the, the design of the, the ship, that kind of manta ray yeah. chrome Copper gliding thing. Of... I, I think w- what it is like <clears throat> the, that cobra head, which kind of looks like a, a car light, reverse light or something mm. <laughs> mm. Uh, on kind of periscope thing that, that looks around. Something about that that shape gliding towards you, and then that thing coming and looking down towards you, like it does yeah. to Uncle Matthew, I found so unnerving and horrifying, um, and how big they are. And yeah, as I was saying, watching it, man, every time we drive along the freeway at night, every single yeah, the every single light is like. Is when a you said trigger. that, I was like, oh yeah, like it's a trigger for me. Like, like I can just imagine like, as a kid sitting in the back and you're watching the lights, like, mm, yeah, like, they're all gonna come and kill me. Why did they choose that shape? <laughs> yeah, uh, probably specifically because of that. Yeah. Let's be real. I think more likely someone was a fan of this film that then went into um, streetlight infrastructure <laughs> and they went, I'm just gonna make them all look like the the aliens Daniel. from my favorite film. Mm. Um, yeah, it's. It's it's a really fun film. There's some really good things here. There's a few things which are quite new. Um, I don't know if this is the first time a force field is depicted in a film, but it yeah, must be early. They don't Do- call it a force field. Yeah, what, what was it? A it? like blister or something? Uh, a, a, an electronic, an electromagnetic blister. blister. Yeah, protective blister. Which was like, like that. that name didn't catch on. Which yeah. is <laughs> I just love the bell jar shape, mm. which is interesting because I'm look I'm thinking about force fields like specifically for like when I was growing up. In mid, and obviously it kind of usually either conforms to the shape of the object or yeah. in something like the Commander Keen video games when you go on God mode and you have, I think it's Keen 3, where you get the little bubble around you when you're on God mode. <laughs> mm. Did you play Commander Keen? I didn't, know. Oh, it's great. They had six Commander Keen games and then Keen Dreams and he was this little kid um, and, yeah, he was off fighting Beavis, aliens yeah. and stuff. Right. Um, wearing his like bike helmet and whatever else, his little ray gun, and he'd shoot these little green aliens. It was it was really good fun. Um, I was not particularly good at it. My brother was really good at it, but it was a PC game that we used to play. Yeah. And in in there was a God mode um, thing where you could type in God, and it would basically give you a little. It, it would shield. basically mean so nothing could Infinite kill you, shield. and you could just yeah. zoom through, it and you could make yourself fly. Because he had a pogo stick was one of his things that he had, <laughs> so he could like 
fly and if you had god mode on you could fly with the pogo stick and you just put your head on the ceiling of where the game was you just from one end of the <laughs> level to the other and then drop yourself down finish the level fantastic i'm just gonna fly yeah. over everything you know but right. in in, in and that's in, what they do yeah, yeah. kind of but yeah that's in king three he had like a little like bubble around him like you could actually see the force field around him right yeah. it was it was a big they had god mode and unfortunately uncle matthews did not that that's no, what we, he really what we did saw not. in this one the yeah. irony um, what I will say is I just did a quick look about the history of force fields. Oh, oh. yeah. Cool, cool. Um, so the concept of the force field dates back to at least as far as the early 20th century. Yeah. Uh, the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction, uh, a book I am Ooh. very familiar with from mm-hmm. PhD research, um, that that states that they believe that the first use of the term in science fiction was in 1931, uh, a, a story called Space Hounds of IPC by E.E. E. Doc Smith. Uh, is the first time that force mm. field as a term was used. And this was uh, an American novelist, uh, E.E. E. Doc Smith. Mm. Um, an early precursor of what we might now call the force field was also found in The Nightland from 1912. Um, and Isaac Asimov's Foundation series, which was written in the 40s and early 50s, yeah. um, did have these um, personal shields that were being developed by scientists specialising in the miniaturization of planet-based shields. So it's a concept that was around, certainly, in the early 20th century. But just century. hadn't been, like... It hadn't been named. Well, it well, had been named, maybe, but hadn't yeah. been, like, like gotten mainstream. Yeah, and, like, it's interesting, though, that force fields are predated by the War of the Worlds. Yeah. So, as far as we're aware, mm. nothing in what Wells wrote said, oh, they no, have force there's, fields. There's, there's no force field in... In mm. the original novel, because they're they're using cannons, yeah, and they're using like old old gunfire and cannons, like and, muskets and stuff, yeah, and the the big metal tripod machines, yeah, just just doesn't have any effect on them, yeah, because um, the metal's just too strong, exactly. So so it's not it's not like a force. It's, it's just it's, that they're it's just, just that they're better. Yeah, <laughs> it's just that they're stronger. our metal is better than your metal, exactly. Mm. And from this quick search, it, it does appear this is the first film that, shows that, a force that depicts field. something that could be called a force field. Oh, cool. Um, wow. Yeah. Or at the, at the very least from, from this list that I'm, I'm trusting from it's this It was source. a really good yeah. effect, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I believe it was a glass jar. It looks like a bell jar. Mm. It's yeah. a bell jar shape. Yeah. At yeah. the very least. So, yeah, it's 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 fascinating, though, just looking at... Even just that as a contribution. Force fields are so big in science fiction. And yeah, they're if, huge. And if it was popularised, even if it's not called the force field. A force field. field, yeah. But it's interesting... I'd that... be interested to know what the first, like, uttering of, like, mm. force field as a thing within... Yeah. Mm. Like, film is. Because I'm presuming that it would have become popularised through that somewhere. Well, the, I'm pretty sure they had force fields or the equivalent of in Forbidden Planet. I just don't know if they mm. called them force fields That's or not. after this. It's three years after this, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, so it's um, sometime and, around here. And certainly... Or like, did it come through literature or... Well, in Star Trek, it's shields. and that, So that's yeah. the 60s. The concept yeah. is well and truly solidified. But yeah. It's... And then Star Wars as well. They've got... Yeah. They say shields up as well. Yeah, well, because they've got the force. So that would get very confusing if you've yeah. got force yeah. fields and the force knocking around together. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering if force, field, if force fields specifically as a term was later. So it was basically the, the, the concept of what it was was there, but it, that, that terminology maybe wasn't there. And it was, you know, shields up. Mm. Yeah, no. Well, from, from the brief couple of minutes I've just spent now, this film appears to be the first one that uses it. Wow. Congratulations! So, yeah. War of the it, it, it's added that in. Like, yes. there's there's things that this film adds in, and there's things that it, it doesn't bother adapting. Yeah. Um, that that make it 
it's its own thing in the pantheon of War of the Worlds adaptations. Yeah. Um, As we were saying, there's, there's, there's not really any that have kind of really faithfully adapted it in its own time period with the exception of maybe the concept album. But even that, the music is very anachronistic for mm, that yeah. time period. And it's a concept Again, the, album, A lot so of electric guitars in that as well. A lot of electric but, guitars in that. But I like that they are kept to the Martians. Like, the the, the instrumentation yeah. that is all electronic, electronic is, comes from Mars. Yeah, is yeah. the yeah. technology. Yeah, which I think <laughs> is just so clever. Yeah, I'll yeah. be honest, that, that, that soundtrack also creeped me out. Mainly, yeah. the, mainly the, the creeping bass line. That was yeah. creepy. That got un- under my skin. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. boy. Oh, it's so good though. Yeah, yeah, it's great. We we may have listened to the vinyl on our wedding day in the morning <laughs> while getting, we're getting ready. ready. Yeah, so uh, things. yeah, that I don't know. and I think Tapestry by Carol King, yeah, got, which got, I think really just says a lot about you and I, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it really got rid of it. Really got rid of all the feelings of dread. I was kind of like, oh, I was thinking about the Martians. I, I'm not dreading this wedding at all. Hmm. <laughs> I, I, I guess that there isn't really any music. Uh, there's there's no well, there's no musical numbers in in this film. No, um, no. There there is a score very typical fifties yeah. bombastic. The non-use of music in those sequences where the town is empty yeah, with everyone having great. a flight was yeah. really good. Yeah, yes. the sirens have been going for like a good three or four scenes in the and background and then they just stop. Mm. Yeah. And then he's alone. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's it's <sighs> really well done. Would you guys like some trivia about War of the Worlds Love 1953? Some about... Okay. Mm. All of this trivia comes from IMDb, so if it's not true, don't blame me. The estate of H.G. Wells was so pleased with this final film, uh, as as it turned out, that they offered George Powell his choice of any other Wells property to turn into a film. Oh, yeah. And so he chose The Time Machine, which Uh. he released in 1960. But yes, the, the estate... We, we, we don't know how HG might have felt about the religion aspect, but the estate were like, this is great. We love this. It did, I mean, it did well, so. Yeah. 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 Um, the Martian war machines were originally going to be walking tripods as depicted in the novel, yeah. but George Powell didn't know how a tripod would walk and instead went with the flying machine approach. They, mm. they have legs. They're invisible legs. Mm. But they're they sort explain of, that. They're created with these spark yeah. effects, um, mm. which are not in every scene. But but they're in the first scene, which is the important thing. Yeah, um, and I think that's a smart move, particularly the idea of these things just having like either dangling legs that aren't doing anything, or like the sort of Harryhausen stop motion yeah. movement. I think would have dated this a lot more. It, it, it's interesting because the yeah the stop motion approach absolutely would have dated the film. But yeah, man, I would kill sure. to see it at, at the same time because I love tripods. But depicting mm-hmm. movement of a three legged yeah. Uh, just a little marionette puppet like yeah it's 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 really hard to convey yeah weight for that size i mm. think we talked about this while we were watching it yeah that, that it's it's hard, like in other adaptations that we've seen as well like it's really hard to to uh show it in a way that feels believable mm. that it's not going to just topple over once it lifts up one leg yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and you were saying rob that the the spielberg version that had Nails a really it. good job of making sure that the weight was always centred over the two legs that were standing. Yeah, so that it's believable that one could be moving. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's great animation in that one. And then in that one, they also have, like, all sorts of other things as well, like mm. the, the arms with the 
the pincers and yes, all the other little bonus bits and pieces, yeah. all, all the all the extra details and stuff that are kind of like they had in, a lovely design and interestingly sort of manta ray-ish with the little curves and wibbles yeah. like mm. in this. So again, with the big eye on the front, yeah, yeah. So you can kind of really see that this to Spielberg pipeline really, yeah. mm. and it, and it has <clears throat> what what they don't have for this one is the the sound. That the Spielberg one makes and that the Whoa. the concept album yep. describes, which is how it's described in the novel, is yeah a, that really a, a, that oola that oola yeah uh, yeah um, you you can I can I can hear I can kind of see the the that word written when mm. I hear the sound from the Spielberg one yeah and mm. like it's literally just someone with a a vocoder mm. <laughs> guitar mm. Mm. Uh, distortion. Ooh, in, in the concept album, you got um, socks, don't you? I do. I'm, I'm actually not wearing them today. I've just realised. That's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did think about trying to dig out my immersive experience <laughs> yeah. t-shirt and couldn't be bothered in the end. Yeah, yeah. The more, the more we talk in this program, the more I realise I think I really like War of the Worlds. I, I just don't think about it day to day. <laughs> but I'm like, no, I'm a big fan of this. It's apparently. very cool. It it's is very cool. Um, two days into filming, they had to stop filming because Paramount discovered that the filming rights they had for the novel were only for a silent version of the movie. Oh dear. Oh, like they had, yeah, they bought the rights in like the twenties or something. Yeah. And um, this was, and then when, to, oh, never shit. got around to actually. Yeah. So when they discovered this, it was uh, quickly resolved uh, through the kind permission of the estate of HG Wells. Oh, they were probably just like, oh yeah, cool. Go for it. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a very much a whoopsie moment. Um, most of the soldiers in the movie are actual, actual National soldiers. Guard troops. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Um, so the maneuvers that they were doing. They move doing, like soldiers. Yeah, they, they were the real maneuvers. They, they recreated. They did a Michael Bay. Yeah, they did a Michael yeah. Bay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just get, get the soldiers in. Mm. Michael, Michael Bay's War of the Worlds. Oh, wow. I shouted. <laughs> be a lot more explosions and there was a lot a of explosions lot more... in this. Skimpy girls as and, well, and Bruce Willis playing a germ. Going, we're gonna get these guys. <laughs> yes. It's from the perspective of like six germs: Steve Buscemi, um, Bruce Willis, um, yeah. uh, bloody Ben Affleck. Oh, um, there would be so many low angle shots looking up of people running as the ships go overhead. Yeah, yeah. There would be so many lens flares <laughs> and a lot of practical explosions on set as yeah. people ran. Yep. It's almost a shame we didn't get that, actually. That sounds quite you know, fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about it now. It's like, as bombastic and, like... What Aerosmith song would it be? be? Would it be Love in an Elevator? Like, how, how would they... How would they <laughs> well, they actually, do? I thought, in a, in, a, in a post-COVID era, who would do a War of the Worlds? And what would the, what would the vibe be? Oh. You know, I think if you're doing post-COVID specifically, you're yeah, thinking about like, pandemics, like and you, like, you you double down on the black smoke and the red weed, which are two things yeah. that are not in this adaptation no, not at all. all. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, the black smoke, I've only really seen that done really effectively in the BBC adaptation. Yeah. Because um, I, I, again, because we were doing this, I went and watched a bunch of clips from different adaptations to try to get, get in the mood. And yeah, the, the black smoke that was done in that, where that guy steps out of it and he's just got blood pouring from his eyes and mouth. Yeah. is like, I forgot all about this and how horrifying yeah, yeah. that was. <laughs> the chemical um, warfare kind of yeah. side of it that's not really... Yeah, so I, I do think, yeah, it would be much more on the biological side. Um, I, I just wonder if the tripods have come down wearing masks because they've already seen the pandemic. Like, what if you... What would, would, would a modern adaptation be? They were preparing the invasion, they saw the pandemic, and they went, oh, we need a germ plan so the germ angle doesn't work. <gasps> would that be potentially... Well, it, I mean, it yeah. could be that it... it... 
it, it, it's a, a fight fire with fire thing and the, mm. the deus ex machina becomes a bit more like independence day where it's like mm. someone makes the virus oh, okay. and that's what defeats them and then uploads it on an apple macintosh is that and they're using the virus. same si- okay, different yeah. virus yeah but yeah <laughs> i mean independence day is essentially war of the Worlds. yeah uh, yeah which is why spielberg wanted to make it earlier i believe but once independence day came out he's like well better wait better, better wait yeah. <laughs> for an appropriate length of time moment and also i think um at that stage in the late 90s mm. what did war of the worlds mean at that stage like in terms of world events and, we were, and well, what was going on in, t- in terms of your big wars and things like we were post kind of vietnam and like, we were into well, the, the Gulf War, the Gulf War, War and yeah. things like Afghanistan that. Afghanistan as well. Um, yeah, mm. but yeah, if I mean, <clears throat> it's such a you you can squeeze the allegory. Mm. <laughs> it's it's you can mold it. The perspective of the world of the worlds from other parts of the world would be quite interesting, like non-Anglo-centric parts of the mm. world, like like one from the perspective of people in the the Middle East. Mm. like if mm. you're in it like particularly in those areas where they, which have been in heavy conflict a little bit yeah where there's these areas that have been in heavy conflict and then all of a sudden that conflict goes away because the martians turn up in tripods mm. that could be potentially very interesting um as, as yeah. a concept um i think what's interesting about the uh the novel and the spielberg film is is that it's focused on and every man, yeah, uh, someone that's capable but survives through luck mostly, yeah. mostly, and mm. is not um, in military and is mm. not in he's not higher a scientist. up. He's not. He's just he's, a dude. He's not priv- privy to the decisions mm. making of the president and all of that stuff. So yeah, um, it's it it really is like the every every man kind mm. of perspective on it mm. and i think uh something like um cloverfield mm. were doing it as like a found footage so like a jj abrams like, <laughs> like yeah maybe not jj abrams but mm. doing war of the world i've always wanted to see war of the worlds done as like a full-scale invasion on but like on the social ground, media but, but doing it just through somebody, found somebody. footage um mm. I, I think that could be an effective mm. end point, but then that that kind of suggests the allegory quite specifically as well. Yeah. Um, so something like that mixed with Nope, I, I think like mm. talking mm. about uh, you know using media as as evidence and using it as a mm. as a to convey truth when when people don't believe you know for social social justice mm. kind of situations could 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 potentially be maybe i i could be talking out of my ass I, i'd, I'd I'm watch thinking on the spot here i'd watch jordan peele's um the war of the worlds oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That'd, that'd be great it'd be it'd terrifying be, mm. it would be yeah i i, I would, it would be, be so scary <laughs> um <laughs> as an homage to awesome wells and his famous uh, war of the worlds radio broadcast from 1938 voice specialist paul freeze appears on screen as a radio reporter about mm. a, an hour into this film and is doing his uh well-known awesome wells vocal impersonation <laughs> so future oh, history if any <laughs> um 
In one of the montages of destruction in the film, Martian fighting machines were superimposed over black and white footage of a lava flow destroying buildings in and around Naples from the 1944 eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Oh, cool. Hmm. There was a lot of like World War II footage of like yeah, destroyed was. buildings yeah. and things like that, which I was like, that's quite soon to be using that a little bit. I was like... I guess they were like, we've got it. Yeah. That and and a lot of uh, India. Yeah. yeah. For being, uh, being separated into... Uh, mm-hmm. and, and using the... Talking about mass migration and, and how yep. swarms of people were forced to f- flee. Mm. And they're using a lot of footage of from mm. around that time. Which is interesting because that is famously British colonization, which is what the original Welsh novel is so vehemently yeah. against. And, and India itself is a newly independent nation from, because mm. yeah. the British Raj was, I think 47 was when that ended as a thing. Yeah. Mm. So, so when they're making this film, India, as we currently understand it is five years old, Yeah. which is just really interesting. Yeah. That so they the, the separating of, of the, Mm. into Bangladesh and Pakistan and, and forcing mm. everyone. Yeah, the partition. And, yeah, yeah, the partition. Yeah, it, it makes sense why they would choose to focus on that and then just sort of name check a bunch of other places. Yeah. And yeah. then there's that shot of Australia where it's just the entire centre of it is just black. <laughs> we seem to have the most <laughs> We have the most amount of tripods. Of I mean, why? There's nobody... There's, there's very few people in the middle of the desert. Yeah. I, I think I honestly... Especially in that time period. I honestly think the strategists were just keeping the spare pieces there. I don't think any... any it could be that, game. or it could be that the Martians decided to go there first because it most resembled Mars. Could be, yeah. That is a very good point. And Red then they dirt. turn up and it's just a bunch of sheep shearers and they're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, made a horrible they just error. feel at home there. It's so hot, guys. That would make a lot of <sighs> sense. Actually, do you know what? That would make sense. If you were going to yeah. do one, do, do like a remake of, do it from Australia and it's like, and it's why'd they come out. here first? Oh, I don't know. Maybe they figured it's like... It's like Red Dirt. Like, Red Dirt. Yeah. They were just following Uluru. Turns out that was sent down first. <laughs> Just a big old, big old like deep big old rock space from rock. Envoy Rock, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. landing in all the big meteor sites, um, yeah. But yeah, I, I was just like, oh yeah. I mean, the, the lava flow I thought was interesting to That's kind of cool. superimpose that, and I did like the the lathery effect of the the actual crashed meteors. Like the way they looked was pretty yeah. impressive. The, the miniatures and then the mixing it with the sets. And I think I, I, it looks like in a bunch of those shots, I don't know for certain, but it looks like there's a bunch where they had the miniature up close to the camera as a foreground yeah. miniature. Yeah. And the sets behind Yeah, it. That, that very first one yeah. looked great, but it definitely was that. It was like With the, the fake trail. trail behind it where yeah. it slid in. That mm. looks like it's just like hanging in the air. Yeah. <laughs> All the planet beautiful. stuff at the beginning was really beautiful as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the like the, the illustr- yeah, the illustrations of like Saturn's rings and like... The fact that Jupiter is just Mordor is great. Like, <laughs> yeah, I do not believe that's what Jupiter looks like. No, but, uh... no, <laughs> little bit of Jupiter is a gas giant. Yeah, yeah. I'm, it I'm doesn't sure have big rock formations. <laughs> it's just a big ball of gas. Well, that we know. That of. we know of. Mm. Yeah, as well. Um, none of the original Martian war machines still exist today. Uh, sadly, uh, they were made out of copper, and after production, they were donated to a Boy Scout copper drive. <laughs> But they were, I feel like, uh, I've seen Robinson Crusoe on Mars, which mm. is directed by and produced by the same team that did this one. Mm. And Robinson Crusoe on Mars is, 
basically Robinson Crusoe, but set in space. Yeah. Uh, he gets marooned on like a desert other, island. Like that other dreadful film that you did on the podcast that I had like repressed. I can't was it? John Carter. Oh. <laughs> John Carter? Yeah. From Mars? I love that. <laughs> Forgot about that. Yikes. Ah, uh, dear. But in uh, Robinson Crusoe on Mars, they use the exact same... Shape. Design. Ship. And, and yeah. sound effects. Mm. And it's pretty much like they're, they're on Mars as well. They're like, they're, they're reprising their War of the Worlds guys. They're, yeah. they're War of the Worlds Martians. And they're just reusing them for this film. Mm. Um, because I remember the first time watching it going... What are they doing? What are they doing here? Except in, in, in Robinson Crusoe on Mars, they like, they zip around really, really fast. Like, mm. they just, they, they, like, a camera shot them, like, by panning really quick and then they mm. just superimpose that well, they, in the they, background. They don't want to catch germs. They, they've just got to move quick. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Less exposure time. They don't, they don't have the, the, the cobra head thing. Mm. They just, it's just the, the shape and it's made of copper and just goes, but still makes the same noise. Mm. Uh, the, the final bit of trivia is that both Jean Barry and Anne Robinson, who play um, Dr. Clayton Forrester and Sylvia Van Buren, um, are in the remake in 2005. Hmm. They play the grandparents of the children who are stood oh. in the townhouse at the end. At the very end. Yeah, spoilers for the end of that War of the Worlds, but the kids do make it back <laughs> um, to to yep. their mother. And yeah, they play the grandparents and they're just stood in the doorway. That's very cool. I yeah. bet Spielberg was just like, can I, can I, can I, can I, can yeah. I, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I, Yeah. He's just a big old nerd. Bless yeah. him. In the, in the Blu-ray, there's footage of him showing, uh, uh, what was her name? Anne Robinson. Anne Robinson, yeah. Yeah. Anne Robinson, he, he like, he goes up and he shows uh, yeah. the image of E.T. where Elliot's looking out the window and E.T.'s fingers come and like rest on his, on his shoulder. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And he goes, look, that's, that's, that's you in War of the Worlds. I copied that shot. There's this really cute little moment. She's Aww. like, oh, wow. She had no idea. I'm like, I recognize that shot. Like, I, mm. I recognized it when I saw E.T. Yeah. yeah. Uh, except he doesn't have, uh, Henry Thomas does not have the, the same incredible reaction yeah. <laughs> that Anne Robinson does of the, of the, sh- Wide mouth horror, like fifties horror, fifties yeah. horror, horror, melodrama shaking, horror, shaking the arms and turning around ever so slowly and yeah. screaming. I mean, we, so great. We, we were having a lot of fun at the expense of the character of Sylvia yeah. because of some very interesting, like uh, monologue by installment delivery and um, a few things like There's that. The need for her to be just shaken to put some yeah. sense back into her again. But but it's in like... terms of like that character archetype. I don't think I've seen anyone do it better. I don't think anyone has played a yeah. damsel in distress in a, in this sort of film better than Anne Robinson has done. Yeah, and I would argue she she's maybe not completely hopeless as no. well. No, like, she she helps out a bit. She she can do th- certain things, and she knows a little bit about the science as well. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's nice. <laughs> there's some good. There's some good elements in there. I mean, look, there's some. As with a lot of films from this era, it's like mm, yeah. a lot of issues around feminism. Makes sense. There is one token possible Mexican person, and yep. everybody else is white because it's the fifties. Yeah. Mm. But like that, I would expect that for a film of this time period yeah. Yeah. from I mean, there's, Hollywood. There's a couple more. Um, either Spanish or Latino people in the church at the end that yes. are praying mm. in, yes, in Spanish. In Spanish, yeah. And then 
and there's like you know it's it's token background stuff. Yeah, or like they're like you know we've got these other countries that are doing things, which is better than there was another film that I watched recently. Mm. I can't remember what it, what it was. It was another really old one, and one of the, one of the issues that I, oh I think it was um, Deep Impact or Armageddon. Yeah, it was one of those two <laughs> where it was just like America and just we're not Armageddon. gonna we're not gonna talk about. Any of the other countries that this might be affecting, I, I think it was. I believe Armageddon. that would be Armageddon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which was just like everything goes focused on America. We are the only people who are doing anything because we are America. And I'm like, yeah, but that's just how they operate in general. Like that's what they like about everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so with all that being said, it's time to score the film. Mm. And Ellen, you get to go first because it was your first time watching 1953's The War of the Worlds. Yeah. What score would you give it out of ten? I'm gonna give it a solid. Seven and a half pepperoni fingertips. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they they're a little gecko sucker. Yeah, they got very pizza hands. Very as, pizza um, hands. Yeah, we had, uh, we had the wonderful... The little veins in the hand when it flops down at the end. Yeah. We had the, the, the wonderful uh, friend of the show, Tyler, was, was here watching the film uh, and then had to dash off before we did the review part. Yeah. But he did... Uh, coin the term pizza hands for, for what <laughs> they like, I just really want pizza whenever I watch this. And I, think it's, yeah. like, I think the fingertips are perfect. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's a really really impressive film. It's mm. it's probably not necessarily a very faithful adaptation of the thing, but none of them are really in various ways. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. It's it's it's, it's an yeah. adaptation. It's of really its time. of its time, and it's really really well put together. Mm. Could it be better? Probably. Mm. But, but as it is, I think it's. Pretty, pretty freaking good. Yeah. Okay, Robert. Uh, you, uh, we know you love this film, but I what... know, I know. If if I'm separating like nostalgia and and, mm. and all of that. No, you don't have to do that. I never Robert. do when I'm watching <laughs> films that I'm nostalgic about on this podcast. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's it's tough, but I think I would I would give this um I'd give this eight fish sandwiches out of. Fish sandwich. Yeah, he got- steals the guy's cigarette out of his <laughs> pocket. Yeah, yeah. Gotta lie it. Yeah, I want to play that guy in yeah, this right. film. Just like, hey, give me this. Yeah, give me that. He he was having a lot of fun. Boy, it's a whopper. Yeah, it's a whale of a size. So it's about the size of a whale, I guess. Like, yeah. What kind of a whale? Oh uh, yeah, it was a sperm whale. It was it was really a whale. It's really fun. Like I'm just I'm just looking back on my notes and. It's not a long film. That's the other thing. It's only yeah. an hour and 20 minutes. Like, this is not a long film. And maybe that's an accusation you could make of other adaptations, that they overstay their welcome a little bit. Longer than they are interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, certainly with the TV adaptations. I think there's been a few issues with that. Mm. Um, I, I think this is a really tight hour and 20-ish minutes that that feel well used. It doesn't feel like there's anything that you could cut out of this film majorly that would not there's nothing that felt like we were wasting our time basically yeah it was it was all i think despite the fact that maybe the shot to shot editing wasn't great <laughs> uh, i feel like the overall editing of the pace of the film was pretty good yeah. nominated for an editing academy oh really mm. did not win oh okay well I'm, I'm i'm sort of glad in a sense because <laughs> I, I do think it was a bit rough at times but um okay yeah uh, i i just really liked this quite a lot um it's it's a lot of fun um and it's a really important film in terms of mm. what it went on to do. I think the impact it had on pretty much every screen adaptation 
has because it is the first yeah. one. It, it, yeah. it, it, it's really hard to separate it from that. And they've done a good job of it. And I think you, there's a there's a very clear influence on the Jeff Wayne musical version. Yeah. Um, you know, even though the design is slightly different, there's a bit of similar color coding with particularly the use of green. Yeah, yeah. I, I think is um, green window. Yeah, done done that that's carried through, and a lot of the. The, the the way it started to spread out the, the use of threes so it's not just that the machine has tripod legs but they have three digit hands the the blood cells the three eyes with three independent irises and pupils and the, the 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 blood cells have got like a triangular type structure and that has had such a big impact on just how war of the worlds is told yeah going forward um it, it is really fascinating um which means thematically I should give it three, uh, but I won't because that's too low a score. Give, give it, it nine. three times three, which is nine. Yes. I should have given it nine. Oh well. I could have uh, gone up to nine, but I'll, I'll you can change it to nine if you want. No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll be mean and stick with my, <gasps> my eight. That's fair. I will give it. Um, realistic though, I think it's 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 very fun. It's it's it's, it is dated in some respects, but not, not a lot. It actually holds up holds really up good, well. Yeah. So. Uh, I am going to go with um, seven and a half um, stolen ice creams. Out oh, of that ten. kid was having the time <laughs> yeah. of his life. Kid next Him to Him and the, that dog. Yeah, the overturned that, ice I cream I remember truck. that shot specifically being reused in the in the 88 TV series, in the in the pilot yeah. episode. Mm. Uh, it's a direct sequel to this film. Oh. They made it uh, two seasons of a TV series about a second wave invasion. And uh, it opens... With a lot of the footage of the of LA being evacuated <laughs> in the fifties, and mm. I, and them using that shot, that's brilliant that from that. But yeah, he he was definitely living his best life that day. That kid, yeah. just all the melting honestly, ice cream. Honestly, yeah, and action. Yes, just eat the ice cream as fast as you can. <laughs> Uh, but yes, that brings us to the end of this episode. So Robert and Ellen, thank you so much for joining me to watch The War of the Worlds. Thanks for thank having you. me. And for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening in. Uh, we've got plenty more episodes invading your podcasting spaces. So watch out for them landing once a week. Uh, but we promise not to kill you with a heat ray. Uh, that's where the analogy ends. Uh, so if you want those uh, little uh, offshoots from our own uh, podcast planet to land in your, your inbox, your intray, um, subscribe iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, however you choose to subscribe to the podcast, we'll shoot off our own pod and it'll unscrew and give you uh, an audio Martian each and every week. Uh, We also have our Facebook page. You can find us there for news and updates. And we have a Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. You can get all sorts of bonus goodies and features. Uh, Just find us over at patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast. But that is all for this week. So until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.